voices It's up to you and me To shine a guiding light and lead the way United by our cause We have the power to pursue what we believe We'll achieve the realization of our dreams Hello there, welcome to this episode of New Horizons I'm Vaughan Benison, thanks once again for your company This week we speak with Professor Ron McCallum. Ron wrote a book recently about his life, and those of you who have read Blind Citizens News, which was released a couple of weeks ago, will note that there's an extract from Ron's book in this issue of the magazine. Ron, welcome to New Horizons. Thank you very much, Vaughan. Lovely to be here. Congratulations on having written your book, and I'm very impressed with the title. Um, I find that frequently when uh, blind or vision-impaired people write books, the title always has something to do with vision impairment, and I really appreciate the fact that you've gone through a slightly different, uh, a slightly different direction. Yes, well, I've called the book Born at the Right Time because I think I was born at the right time, there's never been a better time in the history of our planet to be blind. I lived half my life born with tape recorders and ordinary typewriters, and the last half has been with computers, and they and iPhones have changed the lives of we blind people. But I also put down born at the right time because I met Mary Crock, who's now Professor Mary Crock, and we married and had children, And that all came at the same time as the new technology arose. So the second half of my life I call after Croc and the first half before Croc or BC. Do you think that uh, having been born when you were and having a good grasp of of Braille and using typewriters and and, uh, tape recorders and things like that has given you a unique appreciation of uh, modern technology? I think, yes, it's given me a deep appreciation. When I was in school in Victoria at the RVIB and then at St Paul's School, our books were transcribed by mainly women, Braille transcribers, who poked each dot on a Braille frame. There was no Braille printing press in Australia. So that's how I learned Braille, and Braille was central. There were no tape recorders in those days. In fact, the first tape recorder I saw was a wire recorder when I was seven, and I never thought it would develop. So, yes, Braille has always been very important to me and still is. But then we had Braille writers, and when I went to university, I was using a Perkins Braille writer and uh, learned to type on an ordinary typewriter. And in many ways, those skills I learned at segregated blind schools of typing skills and Braille skills were very useful. Although I think it's much more preferable if if children can go to a mainstream school and have proper resourcing. I think my social skills um, were not honed as well at a segregated school. I think that's my a f- wife might tell you that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fair argument. I too went to a blind school for the first part of my uh, education. I can really see advantages to uh, a segregated education, but you're quite right in that it doesn't teach you how to behave and how to operate in in the world, uh, which is full of sighted <clears throat> people. That's true, and I didn't go to school with my brothers, and in some ways perhaps that's why we drifted apart, because we had less commonality. There are all sorts of other reasons when you know grown-up siblings go and do different paths in life. But I think the fact that I was schooled away from the rest of my family um, was a disappointment, I think. Mm. But you, you certainly uh, achieved academically, and uh, you became the first ever full professor in Australia. Who, who was 
totally blind when appointed, yes. Yes. Um, and that happened in 1993 at the University of Sydney, and it was also the very first professorship in labour law for the whole of Australia, interestingly. So my wife and I discussed it. She was pregnant with our daughter, and we had two small boys, two and four, and to move away from Melbourne where we had family supports. But this was such a great opportunity to come to Sydney, and so we came, and then my wife got a job teaching at the law school as well a couple of years later. So, so what does it mean to be a full professor? Well, particularly in the past, full professors ran um, departments and faculties, and they were the, the senior people. I think universities are much more level now, but only a few people ever made the full rank of professor, so it was an extraordinary achievement and they were looked upon as sort of academic gods. I think now there's a much more sensible way of looking at things, and you simply get professorship when you've been doing it for a long time and have done some good research. But when I was appointed um, 26 years ago, um, it was regarded as a very important thing. Mm. And how many totally blind people have, uh, have been appointed to full professorship since you? Are you still the only one? Yes. There's... Um, Glenn Patmore teaching at the University of Melbourne. He's an associate professor. He's the closest, and hopefully he'll make it to be a full professor. It's a sad indictment, isn't it, that even uh, even today there still aren't very many totally blind people at, uh, at that level in academia. What we need in the disability community are role models, um, just as the women community need role models and the gay community, and so we need more opportunities for people with disabilities to progress in all areas and we need to change public attitudes I think. Mm. What made you decide to write your book now rather than uh, say in 10 years time or even 10 years ago? Well I started about eight years ago on, on uh, November the 3rd 2008 I was in New York and I'd been elected as an inaugural member of the United Nations Committee on the Rights of People with Disability and I'm walking around in my apartment and Eleanor Hall, whom I knew from the ABC World Today, rang me up for an interview. And in those days, the World Today went for an hour, so you had to fill it up. And she asked me you know, why I'd been elected, what was the role of this committee, and she intimated to me, you know, you should write some of this down. And I thought about it, and I did quite a number of drafts, four drafts, and then got an editor in. Um, I think also... Getting onto the UN committee gave me a deeper appreciation of disability. I think before then I had tried, in a sense, to put my blindness in a cupboard and to succeed despite the fact that I was blind, if that makes sense. Mm. To hell with it, I'm going to succeed. But I think I was kidding myself because I think if people asked who I was, they'd say, oh, he's that blind labour lawyer. I mean, blindness is about as strong as my gender. And so when I got to Geneva and found about all of the different disabilities, uh, it made me more disability conscious, more aware, and I thought I needed to write about that in my book as well, those changes in my life. What was the process for writing the book for you? Well, I wrote on uh, my computer using Microsoft Word. I, I didn't braille it out. I, I can type better. It took me a while. Um, mm, I had to allay some ghosts in my past. Um, when I was born, uh, 
eight weeks premature, and that's how I lost my sight, retroental fibroplasia. I think it was the end of my parents' marriage. My father, invalided out of World War II, had post-traumatic stress, although he didn't recognise it then. Um, he was violent towards my mum, and I don't remember him ever picking me up. And so I had to mention that in the book, and I had to then think about how to put that and recognise that that was a very long time ago and that the costs of wars flow down the generations. Mm. So, and, and a lot of things like that, how open would I be with my relationships? And I tried to be as, as honest as I could, and that took a lot of rewriting and editing. Did you find that uh, you needed input from other people, uh, particularly with um, sections that you found difficult? Yeah, my wife, Mary Crock, um, I needed input from her. She'd read sections. one point she said, well, actually, I was writing about our courtship. She didn't remember it happening like that. And I said, look, it's like <laughs> Donald Trump. There are alternative facts. But seriously, she was very helpful. And then I got an editor, Rachel Chin, and she would say to me, what are you really trying to say there? I don't think you're saying clearly what you want to say. Were you really in a time of crisis then? What was happening in your life? And it was that sort of questioning that helped me um, be as, as open as I could about all sorts of things. Mm. I, I had a bit of a, I don't know what you call it, everything happened to me at once. Um, uh, there was the new technology, marriage, all in the same year, children. And I thought to myself, my life is topsy-turvy. And then I got this professorship in Sydney and we moved. And I wanted to try and catch up. Now I had a scanner. Could I catch up and be as competent as I should be? And I found that all too much. I ended up having some counselling and realised that, that um, I had to put everything into perspective and that I was really doing pretty well. But, yeah, I, I, I wanted to write about that. And, and also, perhaps you'd recognise this. I think I thought, look, I'm doing all this technology. I'm being a dad. I'm helping governments. If I do superhuman things, will people recognize me for what I really am rather than just disabled? And mm. I learned that no matter how many superhuman things you do, if people have a, a wrong attitude towards you or they have a different view of disability, there's nothing you can do about it. I hope that doesn't sound too pompous. Um, and so I had to work out a lot of those things when writing the book, I think. And in fact, I'm still... Um, troubled about that and one of the book launches one questioner said to me you still haven't fitted in blindness fully into your life you still uh, haven't quite bedded that down have you and I had to say no I'm still trying to work out my relationship with blindness does any of us really do that, do you think? I mean, it, it seems well, to me that uh, most of us... you're more settled than me. Well, most of us seem to spend our lives not avoiding blindness, I suppose, but, uh, you know, trying to, as you say, succeed in spite of uh, or regardless of, of blindness. I, I wonder whether it's an experience that a lot of people have, particularly uh, when they get, uh, you know, when their career moves to a higher level and, and, you know, they look back at themselves and think, well, how the hell did I get here? That's probably true. That's probably true. Um, and I'm not sure that I'll ever feel comfortable, but I'm, as I get older and perspectives change and now I'm semi-retired, then it's all a little bit easier. Mm. 
I'm also interested in your uh, your experience with uh, working in radio. You were the president of uh, Radio 2RPH for some time. I was from 2003 to 2011. Uh, Vaughan, I grew up with radio. You probably did too. Mm. It was my window on the world. I used to listen to shortwave news broadcasts because in the early 60s there wasn't much in Australia. It was like what people do today with the internet. And so radio is ever... In fact, I think... I don't know. I've got four or five personal radios around the place. Um, and so it, it's a very important medium. And before we had all this technology, it was the only way we blind people could read daily newspapers with print handicap stations. Um, I still listen to 2RPH. I think that it's a very important um, medium. And so I was happy to become chairman of the board and, and help with that sort of thing. I didn't do programming, so I'm not a technical person. But I think I'll always live with radio, and I have all the radio stations on my iPhone and my Victor Stream Reader and all those things. Mm. I've been a great supporter of BCA and a member, and I was very honoured that in, uh, I've got to get this right now, 2017, I received the David Blythe Award at uh, the BCA convention in Melbourne. I think your good wife presented it to me. I seem to recall that as the case, yes. Yeah, and I had played blind cricket with David, and he's always been a very, even though he's 85 or 86 now, a very athletic man, and he trained me to be a bowler, and so I was greatly honoured um, to receive that award for my work with BCA, which I think does, does tremendous work. Uh, perhaps I should say my book, Born at the Right Time, um, it's published by Ellen and Unwin. There's no available audio version, but you can buy it as a Kindle book if you can use a Kindle app with the voice on your iPad or iPhone. You can get it as an iBook, similarly on your phone, or you can get it in Braille at readhowyouwant.com.au, and they even have a large print version. So I'm very honoured. Ron McCallum there. I'm Vaughan Bennis and that's it for this week's program. If you'd like to contact BCA, 1-800-033-660 is the all-important number. 1-800-033-660. Email bca at bca.org.au. I'll talk to you next week. We'll achieve the realisation of our dreams. Of our dreams.